This morning we are going to be in Isaiah 56, as I read to you earlier. Isaiah chapter 56. And I want to continue basically where I left off last week. And if you, um, if, if you got a, a printout or a handout, if you didn't, you can get on our Facebook page and there will be um, an outline on our Facebook page. But basically in Isaiah 55, God had extended an invitation to anyone who thirsts. And so they had to be thirsty. They had to be uh, penniless. They had to understand that they had no amount of money that could buy what He was offering to them. And so anybody that was thirsty, anybody that was broke but wanted deliverance from the darkness of this world, that wanted to um, be delivered from the bondage of our sin and our shame and have hope one day in heaven with Him, anybody who, who needs um, um, living water, He offers water in Isaiah 55, and that water represented eternal life. Anybody that needed wine, and wine represented the cheer of man. And if you're sitting in your darkest moments in life, you know that there's nothing really that can cheer you. And so anybody that needs life, anybody that needs cheer, anybody that needs uh, milk, which represented strength and nourishment. And then he said, anybody that wants and has a desire for good, rich food. He said that if you will come and you will listen, and you will delight yourself in this Word, if you will believe it by faith, if you will follow it in repentance from your sin, then God promises, I will save you. He actually says, I will have compassion on you, and I will abundantly pardon all of your sins. And that is the promise of God in Isaiah chapter 55. And by the time you get to the end of Isaiah chapter 55, we see that the end result is that the curse of this world is going to be reversed. Instead of the, the briar coming up where it used to, or the thorns coming up where they used to be produced, they're going to be big, beautiful, healthy cypress trees. And instead of briars, there's going to be big, beautiful myrtle trees that come up. So again, the point being is that He takes you back to the curse of sin, and the reason why the darkness is in this world is because sin entered into the world and cursed was the ground for our sake. And so ultimately, whenever He comes in to save us, the promise is that He is going to reverse all of that. And that one day, His salvation is going to come. And that's what we get to in Isaiah chapter 56. I want you to notice in verse 1 how He starts out. Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. So here's the first thing we notice when we get into Isaiah chapter 56. This promised salvation that God is offering us, this rich food, this life-giving water, this um, wine that cheers, this milk that nourishes, all of this that He has invited us to come and partake of right now, the fullness of it has not come yet. Anybody understand that? You say, I know I'm saved and, and I know the curse is supposed to be reversed, but how many of you can look at your life and realize the curse ain't reversed yet, Pastor? It's not reversed yet. We're still dealing with it. We're still living in it. And so we're in this, this waiting period, if you will. And so he says that my salvation is going to come, but until it does, I've got some directions that I'm going to give you. Here are the directions that you should follow 
while you are waiting on this coming salvation and this coming righteousness of God. And so direction number one comes from 56 verse 1 and 2. We'll read those two verses just so you see it. He says, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness. So there's the first instruction that we have. While you're waiting, keep justice and do righteousness. We're going to get into what that means here in just a few minutes because he explains it all throughout this chapter. But then, notice he says next in verse um, 2, Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. So when you tie those two verses together, you'll notice that the first instruction in verse 1 was to keep justice and do righteousness. Correct? Everybody with me this morning? Stay with me because we'll get to the heart of the message in a moment. That's the instruction. Keep justice, do righteousness. But then he ties it together in verse 2 by saying, Blessed is the man who does this. And then he gives further explanation of what it means for you to keep justice and do righteousness. He says, Blessed is the man who does this, the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath. So there we got one thing that it has to do with keeping justice. Keep the Sabbath. Alright? So... We're going to get into a little study on the Sabbath this morning and why we do Sunday instead of Saturday and how all that got changed just a little bit. And he says, not profaning it, and he keeps his hand from doing evil. And so one of the things that we see there is that according to God here, for us to keep justice and to do righteousness would be to keep the Sabbath and don't profane it, and to keep our hands from doing evil. So doing, and to further explain that, look now with me at verse 4. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath. And then he explains a little bit more about what this means. Notice he says next, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. So there we get into a little bit more instruction on what he wants us to do. The instruction that we should do while we're waiting. And so ultimately... We are honoring Him by choosing to do the things that are going to be pleasing to Him. In other words, the decisions that we make on a daily basis, there ought to be a heart inside of us that asks ourselves first, is this going to be pleasing to the Lord if I do this? If I watch this TV show, or if I say these words, or if I, um, if, if I do this to this person, or if I... Um, buy this from the store even. No matter what it is, there ought to be a heart in us that looks within ourselves and asks the question, is this going to be pleasing to the Lord before I do this? And this is part of what it means to keep our hands from doing evil. We want to choose the things that please God, and then lastly, we want to hold fast to the covenant that He has made to us. We want to keep trusting in the promises of God. And so that's a little bit of what it is that He instructs us to do while we're in this waiting period of His salvation is going to come soon and we know it's coming. We know we already possess it, but we're not quite there yet. And so this is what He instructs you to do. If you were to go down just a little bit further in verse 6, you'll see a little bit more of this instruction. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord, to be His servants. And so. Here's another part of what it means to um, 
choose the things that are pleasing to God, to um, honor the things that are pleasing to God, to make sure that we're holding fast to um, keeping our hands from not doing evil. In verse 6 he says that we minister to the Lord, we love the name of the Lord, and we are His servants. Everything we do, we want to serve Him. And then he says it again, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and hold fast to my covenant. So ultimately, that all encompasses what it means to do justice, to keep justice, and to do righteousness. It really means to turn back to the Lord where you and I have lived our lives completely turned away from God, if you will, following the desires of our own hearts, doing what is pleasing to for my own self. And this is the way that most of us live life if we're not careful. Even as, even as so-called Christians, we will be out here in the world and we will be living our lives and we will never consider whether or not the decisions we make are pleasing to Him or not. But instead, the only thing that drives us day after day is what is it that makes me happy, right? And so he says here, we got to turn back from that. A scripture that proves that. Go with me to um, Isaiah chapter 59, verse 13 through 14. Isaiah says here that we were transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God. So there's our problem, right? We're transgressing, denying the Lord. How are we doing that? By turning back from following Him. It's not that you're doing terrible things in your life. Maybe you do things that the world would look at and go, you know, they're a great person. But instead of following the Lord with your life, you follow your own heart. And that is evil in and of itself. Because you were made for His glory, for His praise, for His purpose. And so he says, we have turned back from following our God. We speak oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Your heart will lie to you about what's good and what's not. And notice what he says here. Justice is turned back. So I believe that we can define keeping justice by turning back to the Lord. Do you see that? So think about it like this. Justice is basically righting a wrong, correct? Whenever you go to court to seek justice, you want something that you want a wrong that has been done against you to be righted in some way, correct? And so here, in order to keep justice, if I'm interpreting this correctly, to keep justice with God means to turn from following our own ways and turn back to following Him, to set our focus and our eyes on Him so that again, we are keeping our hands from doing evil. We are denying the, what our own heart speaks to us and what our own desires want. And we look solely to Him for the decisions that we make in our daily walk. And notice the problem that happened. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. So here we have justice and righteousness that are tied together at the hip. Because of the fact, the reason why we are unjust and the reason why we are unrighteous is because we refuse to follow God and God alone. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Alright, so notice the problem. The reason why we do this is because truth has what? Stumbled. The problem is that 
you and I are not seeking truth so that we can follow the truth. And instead, we're listening to the lying, deceiving words of our own hearts. Right? And so, we should seek truth in the Word of God so that we can turn back to God so that truth no longer stumbles. And is that not what Jesus said? Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall what? This is where we are coming together. We study the Word of God because we want to keep justice by turning back to the God. We want to do righteousness by following truth and by keeping our hands from doing evil. You see how all this is tied together? And so the problem is if truth has stumbled, uprightness can't what? It can't enter. And so we have to turn back to the truth. We have to quit listening to our own hearts We have to quit listening to our own ways. If you really believe that you're going to honor God and be pleasing to God during this waiting period, if you really believe you can honor Him through this time by never seeking Him, by never hearing from Him, by never looking to Him and trying to follow Him, and you think that you're pleasing God and honoring God by just being a good person in the world, you've missed it. You're not keeping justice, and you're not doing righteousness. And so He calls us during this waiting period to turn back to Him. And as we seek Him in His truth and we follow Him and we make our decisions according to what the way He would guide us in His Word, then truth is no longer stumbling. And if truth is no longer stumbling, you are set free from your sin and uprightness can enter in. So now, what do we do with this whole keeping the Sabbath thing? So let's talk about the Sabbath for just a minute. So the Sabbath, and I'm going to try to keep this as simple as I can, okay? So I pray it's not too simple for some of you. But the Sabbath was a time or a day or a period that pointed to the end of God's work in creation. It was a time for both God and His people to just enjoy what He had done. Now, I'm not telling you when I read this next Scripture to you that God gets weary and God gets tired. Because Isaiah told us in Isaiah chapter 40 that God does not grow weary. God does not get tired, right? So whenever we have this day of Sabbath, it wasn't because God had worked so hard that He needed a nap. God did not need a nap. But instead, God's work was complete. What He has set out to do He finished. And now He takes the day to stop and enjoy it and to recognize the goodness in what He had done. So in Exodus chapter 20, verse 9 through 11, this is basically where God commands the Sabbath. He says, Six days you shall labor. Now, does anybody remember why we have to labor in the first place? So here's the thing. God says this, I'm going to give you this amount of time to go through the labor, and then we're going to take a day for you to do something. We're going to take a day for you to have just a glimpse of what it was like when we didn't have to labor throughout the days. And it was a day for them to stop and to reflect on the fact that One day, God is going to bring us into complete rest like He did back that day. Because remember, 
God stopped working on the seventh day because His work was complete. But then, do you remember what happened right after that? God has to go back to work, correct? God has to begin working again. And Jesus told him that my Father is still working. Why is He working? Because man entered his creation, entered into sin, the creation fell, it was cursed. And so now God goes back to work until His work is complete when He redeems man. Are y'all tracking with me? So six days you shall labor and do all your work. But then look at verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath, or a holy day, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, your male servant, female servant, or livestock, or sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, here's why we have the Sabbath. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now again, it was a time for us to stop and reflect on the fact that because of sin, we no longer get to have complete rest in this world. But God by His grace still allowed us to have a glimpse, just a glimpse of what it would be like to be able to just sit back and enjoy Him and His creation in fellowship with Him. Alright? So now go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. I'll show you another scripture. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So again, the point being is that you were a slave. You were in bondage. You were in labor. You were in, you were in darkness of sin. But the Lord God delivered you and brought you out with a strong hand and He was bringing you into His promised land, into His rest, if you will. But the problem was that the rest was not complete in the promised land because sin was still king, if you will, over man. And so we have another issue. So the problem is that on the Sabbath day, they were able to get a glimpse of what this rest would be like, this time to where they're able to look back and see what sin has done to God's wonderful creation, God's wonderful work, and what it has done to us, and then we get to look at just a glimpse of what it will be like when God brings us back into complete rest again. And this was one of the primary purposes for the Sabbath day. So why don't we continue to keep the Sabbath day today? Well, the answer is this. Because the Bible tells us it was a shadow or a symbol of things to come. It was a symbol of the rest that Christ was going to bring when He finished the work that God started when man sinned. Just like God had a Sabbath day of rest after His six days of work of creation, then when man sins and the creation is cursed, he has to go back to work. And then when Jesus comes and He completes what His finished work is, dying on the cross to pay for sin, to save us from our sins, now we're able to enter into rest from our labor again. 
No longer do we work for our salvation. No longer do we do this and this and this. And as long as we do this, then God will be pleased with us. No, instead our Sabbath rest is in Christ. Let me show you an example of what I'm talking about. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul told the Colossians there, he said, Do not let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a what? A shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to who? Christ. In other words, Christ is the fulfillment of what the Sabbath symbolized. Christ is the fulfillment of what the clean and unclean dietary laws symbolize. Christ is the fulfillment of what the temple symbolized. We are now the body and the temple of the Holy Spirit. Christ is the fulfillment of all that the sacrificial system pointed to. We don't sacrifice animals anymore. Why? Because they were a shadow of things to come. So you have in the Old Testament law, you have the old um, moral law, which we still keep today. So the law that says thou shalt not lie, does that mean that now that Christ has come, that now you can lie all you want? No. The law that said thou shalt not commit adultery, does that mean that now that Christ has come, you can commit adultery all that you want? No. Because the moral law still stands. But all the parts of the, Jude, the, the, the Judaic law that pointed toward what Christ would do, they have been completed, they have been fulfilled, and we no longer keep those. Everybody with me? See, this is where so many denominations miss it, I believe. Again, this is my opinion of the Bible here, but I do believe that I'm interpreting this correctly. But there are many, for instance, like the Seventh-day Adventists, that in their heart they believe that in order for you to be saved, you have to go back and keep the Sabbath day. And you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, and follow this law, and this law. Well, the problem with that is you're going back into a works-based salvation. And by the works of the law will no flesh be justified, is what Paul said in Romans. You cannot work your way. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how good you follow the law of God. The Apostle Paul said he was blameless in the law of God. And yet he would tell you today he was the chiefest of sinners. So we miss the point that Christ is the fulfillment. Let me give you a few other scriptures so you see this. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5-6, through 6, because why don't we still have priests today? I mean, the Catholics still have them. There are still so many denominations that do this priesthood. Why don't we do that? It's still connected to the old law. Well, here's why. Because there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man. And you know who it is? The man Jesus Christ who gave Himself as a ransom for all. So here's the point. Because of what Christ has done, He has now fulfilled what the shadow of the priesthood pointed to. The, the, the priesthood pointed to the fact that we could not just come to God on our own. Matter of fact, you try to set foot in the presence of God without uh, the blood being applied, without the priest standing between, what happened to you? You was a dead man. You was a dead man. 
And so when Christ comes and gives Himself as a ransom for all, now He fulfills the priesthood so that He is the one that stands between man and God. And because of that, we are all able to come before Him as priests unto God, not because you become a priest. No, the priesthood, as far as the old uh, Judaic law saw it, it has been fulfilled. It's been completed. And we don't do that anymore. And so there is a moral obligation of the old law that yes, we still follow because it is right and it is good. But there is a symbolic part of the Old Testament law that you and I no longer follow and no longer have to keep. Why? Because the substance is in Christ. And so how do we celebrate the Sabbath today? We celebrate it by looking at the rest that Christ gives us. We come together and we see all the work that man would have had to do in order to, and he would never be completed. He can't work enough. And yet, in Christ, we have the day of rest. In Christ, we have our Sabbath day. And so, as the tradition went, the disciples of the New Testament church, the first church, they met on the first day of the week to celebrate, to break bread together, share the Lord's Supper, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they were observing what Christ has fulfilled and completed for us. And so today, the way that you and I keep the Sabbath is by coming together anytime we come together and we celebrate and we observe the finished work of Jesus Christ. Notice I said finished work. The work is done. The work is complete. And so we have rest. And if you wanted to see this day, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but you could read um, Hebrews chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 and see that Christ is our Sabbath rest. That Christ is where we find our um, obedience to God. That Christ is where we find our salvation for God. Christ is the substance of all that the Judaic law pointed to. And so He would tell us, therefore, let no one judge you in things of the Old Testament law. If there's somebody that comes to you today and says, well, you're not a Christian because you don't keep the Sabbath. And let me tell you, there are people that will do that. You're not a Christian because you don't keep the Sabbath. They're missing what Christ has done for you and I. And they're missing that Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath. Let me show you one last verse. Hebrew chapter 10 verse 1. I'll move on uh, after this. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. But let me tell you what Christ can do because He's not a shadow, He's the reality. He is the good thing that came. And He is the one that is able to perfect all of the, those who would draw near to God through Him. And so He is our priest, He is our sacrificial lamb, He is our Sabbath day, he is our dietary law. He is, and, and this is the reason why we don't follow those things anymore. Everybody understand where I'm coming from? Okay, I hope I ain't confused anybody. So in order to, now again, when we're reading Isaiah for them, Christ has not come yet, right? So they're still following the shadows of things to come because they're, this is their faith. 
They practice these things in faith by saying, this is what's coming. The reason why they give sacrifice, because they know this is what the Messiah is going to do. The reason why they come through the priest, because they know this is what the Messiah is going to do. The reason why they keep the Sabbath is because they know this is what the Messiah is going to do. He is going to give us rest from all of our labor. And so, this is what it means for them to keep the Sabbath and not profane it. And so again, for us today, the equivalent of this is that we observe Christ's finished work for us. And we rest in Him. We rest in Him. And you know, we're going to see that here in just a minute. Um, as we get ready to look at insecurities that we have in our faith. Because how many of you have ever, since you've been a Christian, only probably a hundred or a thousand times in your life went, Lord, I don't even know if I know You. I don't even know if I'm saved. I figured there'd be, there'd be a few that would shake their head or raise their hand or something. We have all kind of insecurities about whether or not God is going to save us because of our flaws, right? Because of our sin and because of what we do. And so all these insecurities God is going to address too that He needs to make sure. So again, the first instruction was that you need to keep justice by turning back, following God, observing Christ's finished work, resting in Him, following Him, looking to His truth, learning from Him, being obedient to Him, and this is your life. But it's not a duty that I have to do this. You rest in Christ and you want to do this to be pleasing to Him. This is what it means to keep justice and do righteousness. That's the first instruction of what we do while we wait. The second instruction comes from verse 3. Look what he says in verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from His people. See, think about what he's saying. While you're waiting on this salvation, here's what is going to be tempted for some people to do. Especially foreigners, and we're going to look at them here in a minute, but they're going to be tempted to say, the Lord will surely separate me from His people. In other words, I'm not good enough to stay saved. I'm not good enough to stay in the family of God. I can't get it right. I can't do everything right. I mess up so often. I am so far removed from God and His law. God will surely separate me from His people. He said, don't let the foreigners say that. And then look what he says next. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. And we're going to talk about that for just a minute. Let's talk about direction number two is this. Be confident in your inclusion in God's family. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, or no matter where you are in your faith. And we'll talk about that in a minute too. But let's talk about eunuchs for just a minute. So eunuchs, what are they? Well, eunuchs are basically, and, and I pray I don't offend anybody here, but they are, they are castrated males for the most part. And Jesus talks about three types of eunuchs. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 12, look at what Jesus says about these eunuchs. For there are eunuchs who have been eunuchs so from birth. So we have eunuchs that they were born with some kind of birth defect, and because of that, they were not able to reproduce, and so this is just the way that their life was, all right? And then he says, there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. It was very common in this day and time for especially people of royal families 
to actually make their servants eunuchs so that they would be pacified and so that they would not seek desires out in the world and, and, and desire to start a family. They would be solely dedicated to the service that they were called for. And this was very common back then. It was not something that they would have read and it would have been uncommon to them. There were many eunuchs during this time. As a matter of fact, it is likely that Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were all eunuchs. Let me show you some Scripture to prove that. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 18, And some of your own sons who will come from you, who you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And now look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearances and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and teach them the, lit the literature and language of the Chaldeans. So here's the point that you see in this. The point that you see is that the chief eunuch took these and he's putting them under his care, okay? Now look what happens next in verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and basically this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's the point. They were under the chief eunuch and they were going to serve the king in his palace from here on out. So it is very likely that these guys were forced eunuchs because they had been taken into captivity into Babylon and now here they are forced eunuchs. And then we have back in Matthew chapter 12, the other eunuchs. He says here that there are some eunuchs that have been made eunuchs by men and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now this could just be somebody that maybe is not necessarily castrated, but they have made themselves to be unmarried, single, like the Apostle Paul, and dedicated solely to the service of the Lord. But again, the point that we're talking about back in here is that these eunuchs, they are eunuchs that have likely been made eunuchs or were born eunuchs, and now here's how they feel. They feel like that I have no way to develop offspring, I'm not going to be serving the kings of Babylon or these anymore because God is saving us. I don't have anything to offer the Jewish kingdom. I don't have any heritage to leave behind. I have nothing to offer. And so he says here, don't let these eunuchs say that I'm just a dry tree and there is nothing that I can offer God. There is no reason why He would want me. I am useless. I am damaged goods. Anybody in here ever felt that way before? Lord, I'm damaged goods. Why in the world would you want me? I have nothing to bring to the table. And this is where he says to them, back in Isaiah chapter 56, he says, Do not let the eunuchs say that I am a dry tree. Why? Because verse 4 says this, For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, so in other words, to the damaged goods who observe my finished work on the cross, 
to my damaged goods that will follow me by faith, that will love my name, that will keep their hands from doing evil and just follow me with all their heart. To, the, to these damaged goods who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, verse 5 says, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. In other words, I'm going to give you something better than anything that you think you could have brought to the table. And so we have to be able to recognize here that no matter where you come from, and I know there are many of you that come from broken backgrounds, come from terrible homes, come from dark sinful lifestyles, come from places that, that, that you would look at and go, God would never except somebody like me, God said, you better not say that. You better not say that. You better drop that insecurity in your faith and you better understand something. If you love me and you follow me and you trust me by faith, you choose the things that pleases me, and I am going to make you a monument in my house. I'm going to give you a, a memorial better than any sons and daughters could ever bring to the table. And so... He takes the insecurity completely away. Do you see that? Let me tell you something. You better never stop. Because God did not save you because of who you were to begin with. So if you weren't saved by anything that you did, how can you lose it by anything you will do? And so here he gets at it and he says very plainly, don't you dare let your insecurity rise up to the point that you look at yourself and say, I got nothing to offer. I, uh, there's no reason why God should include me in His family. There's no reason why God ought to forgive me today. There's no reason why God should save me. His Word says here, don't you dare say that. Don't you dare say that. I am going to give you a monument. I am going to give you a name better than sons and daughters. I will give you an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You know what it means when he says shall not be cut off? This is deep. This is deep. Shall not be cut off means this. Shall not be cut off. Y'all get it? That's my interpretation of that. And so if it shall not be cut off, is there anything that you can do to get it cut off? And so your insecurity that you carry in this, He's telling you to drop it. While you're waiting, get rid of that insecurity. Follow Him. Trust Him. And when you see that you're not following Him, what do you do? You get up and you turn back to Him. As long as you keep turning back, as long as you keep coming to truth, uprightness will always be there. Uprightness will always enter in. And so don't let the eunuch say such things. And so let's look at foreigners next. <clears throat> Because foreigners were people who were outside of the Jewish faith. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. <clears throat> this is a good example of what foreigners were. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now in God's eyes, there are only two groups of people. There are not black, white, red, yellow. The, the God... That, that God don't see that. There are only two groups of people. There are those that belong to Him, and there are those who are outside. That's it. 
And so here he says that the ones that belong to him must no longer walk like the ones that don't belong to him. How do they walk? They walk in the futility of their minds. Look at verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that's in them. In other words, they don't know the truth. They don't know the truth. And he says that it is due to what? So here we have people that foreigners, they are hard-hearted toward the things of God. They didn't know the truth about God. And they're doing things that are not following God. Look at verse 19. Let's say foreigners. They also are callous in their hearts to the things of God. What is a callous? <clears throat> Some of y'all will say, I don't know what a callous is. I know what a callous is. Alright? But a callous is a part of that skin that after it has been rubbed so much that it just becomes hardened so that you don't even feel things that touch it anymore. And here he's saying that your hearts in foreigners have become callous. Why? Because they don't know the truth of God. They don't seek God. They don't want to follow God. And as a result of that, they are callous to the things of God. And they have given themselves up to sensuality. In other words, they have an unbridled fleshly lust. You know what something is that's unbridled? Crazy and wild. In other words, there's nothing to control it. If it feels good, do it. And is that not the way of the world today? If your heart says do it, then the world says follow your heart. That's the worst advice anybody could ever give you. Don't ever follow your heart. (laughs) If your heart tells you to do something, you look at your heart and you say, I know who you are. And then you look to the Word of God for truth and then you follow that. And so here he says they are giving themselves up to sensuality. They are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is what foreigners are. Foreigners didn't have the truth of God. They didn't have the law of God. Let me show you another scripture to prove that. Romans chapter 9 verse 4. Let's see what the Jews had versus what the foreigners had. In Romans chapter 9 verse 4, Paul says they are Israelites or Jews. And to them belong the adoption. So they're children of God, right? To them belong the glory of God. They've seen the glory of God. To them belongs the covenants of God. They have relationship with God. To them belong the giving of the law. They have the truth of God to guide them, to lead them. And then they have the worship of God. They have a heart that desires to follow God. And they have the promises of God. Do you see the difference in the two groups? But now you've got foreigners that have chosen to follow the Lord. But look at the background they come from. They come from a background that they don't have the adoption. They don't have the glory. They don't have the covenant. They don't have the giving of the law. They ain't been raised in church like I have. I see people come in this church a lot and and they they duck when they come in because they're waiting to see if lightning is going to strike and burn the whole place down on top of them. And the reason they do that is because a lot of times they they come from a background that is so far away from the things of God that it's not even funny. And here's what God says to people like that. To the ones that choose to follow me, you now belong to the adoption. You're now mine. Look what he says in Isaiah chapter 56 again. Isaiah 56 verse 6. 
And the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to My covenant, look what He says, these I will bring to My holy mountain, and I will make them joyful in My house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on My altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer. For who? Here's the point that, that Isaiah is, uh, that the Lord is making through the prophet Isaiah. I don't care who you are. I don't care what background you come from. I don't care how damaged you are. I don't care what kind of insecurities you have. While you are waiting on the coming salvation of God, God says to you, just keep keeping justice. And what do we say that means? Turn back to following Him. Seek His truth. Come before Him in His Word and ask Him, Lord, what decisions would You have me to make that are pleasing to You? And just look to Him day after day. It's not something you do because you're working your way to be pleasing to Him. It's something you do because He has already adopted you. And because you belong to Him. And no matter where you are in this walk, no matter where you come from, no matter whether you've ever set foot in a church and you've ever read the Bible in your life, if all you know is Jesus died to save me from my sins, That's good enough. That's good enough. And so no matter where you are, no matter where you come from, no matter where you are in your faith, God says to you this morning, don't you dare say, i got nothing to offer. Why would He want me? Don't you dare say, I'm so far removed from Him that He will never accept me, but instead He'll say, I'm going to surely separate Him from my people. No, He ain't. No, He ain't because you belong to Him just as much as the one that was raised in church, just as much as the one that walks in righteousness every day. The question is this, are you still growing in your faith? (laughs) I probably shouldn't do this. But she loves me, she loves me, and she won't care. Where's Janice Cox at? Stand up, Janice. What does your shirt say? Janice, Janice is a Janice is a fairly new believer. She's been trying to follow the Lord and she's been growing in Him and she'll tell me, but she has grown up that her second language is cussing. Alright? That literally is her second language. English first language, profanity is number two. Alright? And she'll tell me, she'll try so hard, but she'll tell me when I come around, she said, now preacher, you know I'm going to cuss. And sure enough, I mean, there won't be a sentence into it. Here we go. And um, But here's the thing. Janice also understands that God does not expect her to just stay that way. That God expects her to keep growing, to keep working on it. Now again, she don't come from a background of people that you didn't cuss and you don't say this and you don't do that. She comes from a background that you, you think it, you say it. <laughs> That's just where she comes from, all right? But do you think God loves her any less? 
Do you think that when she comes in the church, if she lets one slip out, that God's going to say, all right, Janice, now's the time I'm going to separate you from my people? No, He's not. The question is this. Does Janice have a heart to follow God? Does she have a heart to want to grow in the things of God? Does she have a heart to want to seek the truth of the things of God and apply those things to her life? And is that going to take time to make those changes? You better believe it. You know, I'm thankful today that um, you know I don't cuss anymore. <laughs> Ain't y'all glad? No, you preacher don't cuss no more. <clears throat> Amen. <clears throat> Amen. But there was a day in my life that I that I'd let words fly and never even think about it. I'd be sitting with my mother and father-in-law, and I'd let something fly, and my wife would turn around and look at me with big eyes wide open, and I'd go, "What? I don't even know what I said." But I'm thankful that over time, I have learned to talk different. I'm thankful that over time, I have learned to walk different. I'm thankful that over time, that I have grown in Christ. And I'm thankful that during that time that I've been growing, that there never came a point that God said, hey, you don't belong here. And I'm thankful for this Scripture this morning that tells me and tells you, that no matter where you are in your faith, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, if you love the Lord and you trust Him and you honor Him and His finished work of what He has done on the cross, and if you have a desire to choose the things that are pleasing to Him, He promises you He's got an everlasting name for you that will never be cut off. And don't you ever say that i got nothing to offer Him and I, He's got no reason to love me. Don't you ever say that He's going to separate me from His people because I do this and I do this, you stop it. God didn't save you because you didn't do those things. And you ain't going to lose it because you do. Y'all would stand this morning. This is our time of invitation. Maybe you're that person that <clears throat> you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You didn't come up in church or you didn't come up in uh, in a, a religious background at all, and maybe this, maybe today is the day that you say, Lord, I want to receive your invitation. I want to come and I want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross, and I want to follow you. I want to, I want to give my life to you. Then this morning is your morning. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Maybe this morning you're that person that you know that you are in, stuck in between and you are not where you need to be with your faith, but you want to follow the Lord. Maybe today's the day you humble yourself before Him, you bow your knee and you ask God, God, forgive me of my sins and thank you. Thank you, God, that you have included me no matter what, as long as I keep my faith and hold fast to my covenant with you. No matter what it is, the Lord spoke to you this morning. Now is your time to respond to what God has said to you. Did I speak anything that wasn't from the Word of God this morning? Nothing. So don't come up here this morning about anything I said. You come and you respond to what God has said to you. And however you respond is between you and Him. So come now as we sing.